Onika, what is the most self-destructive thing you've ever done? Well, three years ago, I took 50 clonazepams, laid on my living room floor, and prayed to God that I wouldn't die. So I would say that was pretty self-destructive. Hey y'all, it's Onika. And JR. And you are dishing with Dainty Dish. How are you doing today, JR? I am doing fantastic. How about yourself? I'm doing alright. Um, work's going really well, so I'm happy with that. Um, yeah, life is good. Life is really good. Much different than it was three years ago. Yeah, I didn't get that. So you took 30 pills. 50. 50 pills and then hoped you wouldn't die? Like, that doesn't yeah. sound very so, logical. Let me just explain what had happened. Um, so I was at the very start of a manic episode, uh, my seventh and last. Uh, let's cross our fingers on that one. And I was doing a lot of self-reflection at the time and I discovered some things about my past that were really, really challenging, and I caused a very severe panic attack. And I had wanted to take my Ativan, but I didn't have it. I didn't have any left. I'd been taking them like candy, basically, because I was in the midst of a manic episode. So I took my sleeping pills. Uh, I take clonazepam to sleep. So I took a 10 in my hand, popped them in my mouth, drank some water. And when the panic wouldn't surpass or pass, I popped 10 more in my hand, put them in my mouth, drank some water, and I did that, proceeded to do that three more times till the bottle was empty. And at the time I lived in the beaches, so I was in the basement apartment uh, of a house, and I laid on the floor and I was in and out of consciousness because if anyone knows about clonazepam or has ever taken clonazepam, it kind of sedates you. But with that amount um, I took, I was in and out and in and out, and I could see my uh, TV clock. I could see it in front of me, and it was, it would say like three o'clock, then four o'clock. I'd open my eyes and I'd see the time. So I was out for maybe about three hours, and then I remember crawling to my cell phone, which was on my bed, and I called my grandma Judy, and I told her I just took some pills, and she said, "Are you okay?" And I said, "I don't think I'm okay," and so. I'm sorry, guys. This is a really difficult conversation for me. Um, And so she drove up to Toronto, picked me up, and then checked me into Lake Ridge Hospital in Oshawa, where I had spent uh, spent two weeks, but I was still having uh, a serious episode. And though I had always considered it an accidental overdose, because I was trying to just take the pain of what I discovered about my past away, um, they recorded it as an attempted suicide. I don't know. I would. I wouldn't disagree with that analysis. Yeah, I honestly, I've I've been reflecting on it lately because of everything I'm going like I'm going through onboarding at work and I'm learning about mental health and addiction services and um, this is a big this is a big big issue and you know I reflected on saying to myself and denying to myself, oh no, this is just a this was just a. Um, an accidental overdose. I didn't mean to do it. I just wanted my panic to stop. But I was in so much pain at the time. 
Um, I'll be honest with you, I discovered that I, I'd been molested. Some uh, really bad memories came to the surface, and I could feel the touch of this man's hands all over my body, and I just wanted it to stop. And, you know, I didn't have my job. I, I was isolated from my family. I I needed help. I didn't know how to ask for it. And I just, I wanted it to end. I knew I was where I was headed, the road I was going down in regards to probably being hospitalized. And I just kind of, I, 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 called, I called my grandma and I was like, I have to go to the hospital. Like, I have to go to the hospital. Something, like, I can't believe Onika, me, like... The person that never gives up was actually in that moment giving up. Yeah. So how did you 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 made the you were able you were you had just enough you were ugh. so you were conscious enough to make the call to to your grandma Judy. Yeah. And. She came and got you to the to Lake Ridge Hospital. To Lake Ridge in Hospital. Oshawa. She drove to, me. That's my. Uh, that was at the time my home hospital. So that, once you were in the in the hospital, what was it like? What was it like having to deal with? Um, being under observation for a suicide attempt. It wasn't much different than being observation, under observation for psychosis. I mean, I feel like I was checked up on a lot more. Um, I also found that they put the suicide patients together. Um, so my roommates, um, I had five of them in the two weeks that I was there, which just, again, goes to show you how broken the system can be. Um, all five of those um, roommates were suicidal. And uh, some had taken pills. Um, actually, I think I think most of them had um, tried to end their life that way, and uh, they were just pumped out. And I feel one of the only reasons I was able to stay for as long as I did, because um, once you're once you're cleared, you know, it's called this, um, you know, this period of like where you're having the suicidal ideations. It 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 can, it can pass, obviously. So once it once it passes and they they deem you safe, they let you go. So that's what all the turnover was about. It seemed with uh, my roommates, but I think about them now and I think like, well, I don't want to talk about them. I want to talk about you. <laughs> so you were there for two weeks. So you saw five roommates come in and out and be, be deemed as good to go. But that means that you weren't. What was going on then? I was manic. I was having a manic episode, so there's a dual, there's duality there. Now I'm, I'm having this issue with my bipolar. I'm having a manic episode, and on top of that, I'm suicidal. Okay. So, so sorry, go ahead. So, what kind of challenges did that pose um, from a, a, a the standpoint of your medications? What kind of, what did that, what? Because now the medication that's used to help you with your bipolar is now the cause of your, um, or I guess not the cause, but it was it led to it, used. it was it was, it was used. used. Um, you abused the use of your bipolar medication. So what what did that like? I, I want to know like what was that? What was that like? Like how did the how did the doctors? Um, 
put Humpty Dumpty back together together again. <laughs> like that's what I want to know. <laughs> well, it's all about checking your levels, really. Um, okay. I didn't get sleep meds while I was there. That's one thing they didn't do. They didn't give me medication for sleep. But you were able to sleep. No, I wasn't. Okay. I wasn't able to sleep at all um, during those two weeks. Um, actually, I feel like they gave me something. They just didn't give me clonazepam. They might have given me something. I lie. They gave me something. But I was so manic, which is like my like so high that it wouldn't work. So I'd be up every hour on the hour at the nurse's station just bugging the shit out of them, telling them, you know, I want cookies or I, I need more meds to sleep. I can't sleep. I can't sleep. And they'd just be like, go lie down. Go lie down. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't for the life of me fall to sleep. And I think a part of it was I was scared. I was scared of closing my eyes and ending up in the place that I would have ended up at if it, it had worked, if what I had done had worked. So I think there was some fear in there too, along with the mania. So would you say that the two were connected? Yeah, I would say so. I would say um, whenever I have a manic episode, it seems to be whatever's going on in my life at the time, be it, you know, an issue at work, you know, I've gotten fired, I'm, you know, I end up hallucinating and having delusions and um, like around that subject, around that topic. And I did this, this thing that even all, even up to now, like I wasn't in my right mind. I wasn't in my right mind. And that is one of the, that's one of the the risk factors uh, of suicide. Like when you're not in your right mind or you have a terminal illness or, you know, whatever the case may be that causes you to be suicidal. I wasn't in my right mind. So I wasn't making proper decisions. I was being impulsive. So my impulse was to make the pain stop at any cost, even if it costs me my life. So what stops you from making that type of decision today? I think I'm sane today. Um, I think I think I'm one of the main things just coming out of the hospital that that I did uh, to prevent anything like this from ever happening again was actually implementing the blister pack. Do you know what a blister pack is? I do, but you should share. Okay, well, for all those people out there who are on any kind of medications, this is what I would recommend you do. Um, They usually give it to you in a vial. They'll give you 30 to 60 to 50 pills at once. And, you know, you're expected to remember to take them every single day at the right time. Um, And I take about nine pills a day. Um, About six of them are for sleep. Uh, So I um, put them in a blister pack, which is a little... Kind of like, remember those like those Christmas Advent candles? It's like having an Advent candle for your medication. So it, it separates the days. It separates what medications you're supposed to take and the time of the day you're supposed to take them. The thing for old people. Yeah, the thing for old people. The little, you know, the little uh, plastic Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The thing for old people. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know how to relate to this. Like I, I've, I've never had a suicidal thought. Um, 
Yeah, I, I just can't even thought have a. I couldn't. No matter how bad things have gotten, things haven't gotten that bad for me. Uh, it's not something I would even consider. Um, so I don't know how to relate. Like I don't know. Well, I I think I I wanted to share that specific story today because I wanted to talk about um, self-destructive behavior. And, you know, everybody experiences self-destructive behavior at some point. If you're abusing drugs or alcohol or sex or money or any number of things, you know, could be self-destructive. But at at one spectrum is complete and total like bliss uh, in life confidence and love and kindness and happiness and all those sweet things Uh, you know confidence and I said confidence sorry Um, but on the other end of the spectrum when you're experiencing things like anxiety and depression suicide is kind of it's just around the corner sometimes Um, when you're bipolar like I am um, and experiencing a manic episode like I did and, and making bad decisions impulsive decisions like I did and almost attempting, you know, attempting to take my life, you know, or you're schizophrenic, you know, and you hear voices in your head telling you to jump off of a cliff or jump off of a building, you know, or jump in front of a car. You know, you're not necessarily, it's, it's, it's challenging. It's just very, very challenging. And I wanted to have a conversation about, you know, a really important topic. Self-destructive behavior. Self-destructive behavior. Sure. But specifically as it relates to things like suicide. Okay. Okay. I'm going to ask questions. Hope you're an expert on this one. We'll see. Um, Before I start, I'm just going to wrap off a couple facts really quick just to get, so we can all get an idea of what's going on with um, this very sensitive subject. So it's the ninth leading cause of death in Canada. Almost 4,000 people died of suicide in 2018. Um, Males are three times more likely to take their life by suicide than women. But women are three times more likely to attempt to end their lives. And um, according to the Canadian... Can you you say that one again? Which, the last one? The last two. The last two? Males are three times more likely to, to die by suicide than women. But females are three times more likely to attempt to take their lives. So when men do it, they're serious about it. Yeah, well, the it. reason is, well, yes, that is true. Not, it's not that they're serious. Okay, yeah, that, that's the stat you threw at me. No, it's, when, it's because, and they, they, they subscribe it to this, because when men do it, they usually use firearms or, like, hanging, and women use poison, like medication. So that, like a firearm, you can't pump a bullet out of your head and, and live, but you can pump a woman's stomach full of Adderall and she survives. So it's the method, it's the method they choose. One's more like, I'm going to make sure I get this yeah, done. Yeah, I'm getting this done. I'm yeah. getting this done. Whereas one's more unsure and a, yeah. more of a cry for help. Because yeah. my situation too, it was a cry for help. You're seeking attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I wouldn't say seeking attention in in that tone. I, more attention that's really needed because I'm sick. I'm not well. Something is wrong with me. But I don't know how to express that to the people that I need to express that to. So I choose to end my life okay. or to attempt to end my life okay. in hopes that they understand the pain that I'm in. 
So that's what that's what I think for like for women. Let's be speaking on behalf of women because I'm a woman. Um, women are hospitalized 1.5 times more often than males for suicide related behavior. Um, well, if the men are doing it and getting it done, exactly, and, exactly. Okay. Okay. And according to the Canadian Community of Health Survey, 14.7% um, of Canadians have thought about suicide and 35 have attempted suicide in their lifetime. Did you say that? What was that number? 14.7% um, of Canadians have thought about suicide and 35 have attempted suicide in their lifetime. And sorry, and the most common weapon of self-destruction is guns and poison. So those are the two most common. Guns and pills. Guns and pills. Guns and medication. Mm. Think about it. We see it. We see, whenever we see it on television, for instance, the woman's always taking pills, and the man's always shooting himself in the head. Like they really, it's it's not nice to see, but it's it's an accurate depiction of of how it usually goes. Mm. Okay. I yeah. I don't know. I, I've never really like looked into it to this to this degree yeah i looked um, i looked into it not- my mom gave me a book really and i i just um i just went ham like i just was like so interested in knowing because of like the field that i'm now in you know like so interested in knowing like how does this how does this happen how do people get to this point yeah and some of the um some of the signs of suicide suicidal ideations um substance abuse feeling purposeless like you have a purpose in life everyone everyone has a purpose in life but imagine feeling like you don't belong on this earth you have no purpose i mean i felt like i have no purpose a lot of times but did you have hope Uh, that you would find a purpose yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, I I don't know how to relate to this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm just saying, yeah, I I felt that way, maybe that's something that can be relatable, but no, I don't I probably had hope cuz, you know, you're here. I'm here. Yeah. You're alive. Yeah. Um withdrawing, so not being around friends, family, withdrawing from your job. So withdrawal is a big one. Um, like isolating yourself. Isolation, yeah. anger. Like, have you ever met a really angry person? Yeah, yeah, I've been angry at times. You've been angry at times, but I've met, I've met angry people. Yeah, I think the anger is to mask the pain that, like, not you. I'm not psychoanalyzing you. Just like in general, people who are angry, they feel a sense of lack in their life. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's something lacking, or there's something missing and they they feel that rage over that and it could be other things it could be a simple thing as a a you know traffic jam that makes them angry but they're just very short fuse like people like that are people you know potentially that are at risk to committing suicide hmm. i guess it just i know like me i, I was short tempered because i was i wasn't able to decompress at home mm-hmm. and i like my home is needs to be very you know Zen-like, for lack of a better word. Um, but there was a stressor. There was a reason why. Yeah, it, my home life was there was no. It wasn't Zen. Like mm-hmm. that was that was that, like that was the fundamental problem. Like mm-hmm. I need to decom- I need to decompress at home. I, I'm I'm out in the world all day. When I come home, I don't want to deal with noise and challenges and no no things should work. 
Things should work. Things should work. My light switch should work. I worked all day to pay the light bill. The lights should just work. Recklessness. So people like, you never think of it, but like a stunt devil. Like Mm -hmm. a stunt double or a stunt devil. Like they put their lives at risk every time, like in their job. There has to be something there. I mean, you could just be really good at gymnastics or something. And like once you hit 18, what's, what's left to do? Can't go to the Olympics anymore. What do you do? You become a uh, daredevil? I'm just saying. Maybe. My goodness. Um, a reunion fantasy. So if you're having a reunion fantasy, so let's say like your father dies and or your mother dies or your grandmother dies and she has a husband, it's your grandfather. He then, you know ends his life because he wants to be with the love of his life, your grandmother. Okay. Yeah. So there's that. There's so my my favorite example uh, in the book that I had read was uh, Saving Face because they referenced the 1929 stock uh, crash, stock crash, black market, mm-hmm. um, and how people were jumping out of their windows because of the failure. Like, So when you mm-hmm. feel like you're like a complete and total failure and you want to save face... That's one of the reasons that you might commit suicide. Wow. Okay. I didn't guess. think of that one. Didn't think of yeah, that one. Didn't, I didn't think of that one either. Well, yeah. I talked about gambling, like gambling with death. So, um, yeah, stunt, stunt, stunt devil. Yeah. Um, terminal or chronic illness. So the whole like Kevorkian issue when we were kids. Do you remember Dr. Kevorkian, the suicide doctor? Wasn't he just like a euthanasia? Euthanasia doctor, doctor yeah. Okay. But they, they also call him the suicide doctor. Oh, okay. I, I, the name sounds a bit familiar. I think I, I might remember. Yeah, that. so he would help people. Like, he would euthanize people. And it's, you know, people with chronic illnesses. You know, they're, they don't want to put their family through the pain. They don't want to put themselves through the pain. So they choose to, you know, exhibit destructive behavior regardless of what their outcome might have been had they chose not to be destructive. Got it. Um What else can I talk about suicide? Um I don't know. Misconceptions? Mis I like misconceptions. You like misconceptions? I like misconceptions. Misconceptions are good. Um suicidal people give no warnings before they commit suicide. Misconception or fact? That they do give or they don't? They don't give. They don't give a warning. False. False, exactly. Um, it's The fact that I read was 8 out of 10 um, give verbal and behavioral cues. So um, they'll say things like... They'll say things like... Um, How many pills would it take, do you think, to die? Or how far do you think the jump is off this bridge? Yeah, someone says some shit like that to me. I'm going to be like, yo, bro. Yeah, like, are you okay? (laughs) Are you okay? Um, Suicidal people want to die, so therefore they're always going to be suicidal. Okay. Fact or fiction? Say that again? Suicidal people want to die, therefore once suicidal, always suicidal. False. And that's exactly correct because there actually is a limited time 
for the suicidal crisis period. And that's why they hospitalize us. That's why they hospitalize people who attempt suicide, because there's that period where, you know, essentially you come down off of the adrenaline and like you're you you come from the depression, you're potentially medicated and you have time to be a little clearer as to what you want to do. So suicidal tendencies are inherited. Like genetics inherited? Or like nature, nurture, nature kind of nurture. Nature, nurture, nurture inherited. Nur- sorry, nurture, nurture inherited. I would say. Or like genetics. Let's let's say both. I, let's talk about both. Uh, I think nurture definitely could play a role. Okay. Um, genetics, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know about DNA. I don't know about that. No clue. Well, according to this, it says it's an individual pattern of behavior. But then I think of, and I don't know why this popped into my head, because probably because I, God, I miss her and I love her so much, Whitney Houston. Her, her daughter committed suicide in the same manner that she did, like her with her overdose. Um, bathtub, the whole, like the whole, like it was the same thing. And it was, I, I can't remember how many years afterwards, but that would also be like a reunion Mm-hmm. type of situation that we talked about earlier. Yep. So it could be it could be nurture. It could be nurture. It could be. Oh, and my favorite. Only crazy people commit suicide. True. False. 10% of all suicides occur as a result of major psychological breakdowns. The rest are just extremely unhappy, not mentally ill. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I have a couple questions for you afterwards, too. Because I want to gauge. You're the one that has dead space. Keep talking. <laughs> so, clues someone is suicidal. What would you think are some clues? Didn't we just go over this? No. Didn't you, like, ask me things? Didn't we talk about things like... Uh, um Showing signs and stuff like that? Didn't we talk about that? No, we talked about suicidal facts, and then... Okay, so what are you asking me now? Persons at risk, we talked about. Okay, so what are you asking me now? Clues someone is suicidal. Okay, what about it? So, has a history of suicide attempts, talks about death or suicide, or wanting to die. Um, Like, what would you think are some of the... Like, if you had... Like, just... If you had... If you you had a buddy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he comes to you and he's he hasn't slept, he hasn't eaten, he's anxious, um, or he, he offers to give you he offers to give you his uh his uh BMW. Okay. And you're like, Why why are you giving me your BMW? Where are you going? Like, I'm talking about the signs that someone is Oh, so my buddy gives me a BMW? Yeah, are you going to just be happy about the BMW? You're going to be like, why are you giving me your BMW? I'm taking it, and then I'm going to be like, where are you going? <laughs> You're taking the BMW. Where are you where, going? Where are you going, bro? Where are you going? No, I'll probably drive him right to the hospital in the BMW, but make sure it was signed over to me first. Feelings of not being worthy to live. Yeah, if someone comes to me and says they don't feel worthy to live, I'm, uh, well, you know what? <sighs> That's tough, because... If you came to me saying you don't want to live, I would be like, 
F off. Like, why are you bothering me right now? Um, yeah, as a cousin. Yeah, and I'd be like, look, you got a problem? Look, you know where the hospital is. Look, you, you have a psychiatrist. You have a therapist. Yeah, I'd, you have be, a, I'd probably, like, give you that type of you energy. You give me the business. I'd give you that type of energy, yeah. You give me the business. Um, and I'd be like, do you need a... I, I, can give you, I can put you in a cab right now to the hospital, but that's as much as I can do for you. Because um, sometimes I would be more on the tough love side for you, regardless of what the situation is. And that's what I would need from you. That's why um, I probably wouldn't come to you. <laughs> I would but, need uh, tiny soft touch. But no, a, friend, a friend came to me. I, I, fuck, I don't even know how to. I don't know how I would react to that. That's not something I would ever, I've actually ever thought about. This one was weird to me. Is depressed and cries frequently. Like if I see a male friend depressed and crying frequently, wouldn't you be freaked out? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be crazy freaked out. Like, I'd be, I'd be, like, I'd be like, like crying, like sobbing, like really wailing it out. I'd be like, bro, trust me. I've, I've, I'd be like, I've been through a man. She wasn't worth it. That's about, mm-hmm. that's, that's mm-hmm. about, that's about, that's about all I can give I you. I know I was right there with you. I'd be like, oh, boy. She was, not, she was not worth it. Um, boy, I was right there with you. You weren't worth me. Um, <laughs> You're like, you weren't worth me. Stop it. Stop telling, stop, stop putting lying. false, 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 fake news, fake news, fake news. No, but, um, and it's it's weird just going back to the depression part. It's strange how I think I read somewhere recently or like I heard someone say it. I can't remember the exact context, but they said um, the person died of depression because they didn't want to say they took their own life. Because I'm like, you can't oh. die of depression and anxiety. Like oh, it was okay. I feel like it was in a newspaper article. I can't remember where I read it, but I'm like. I'm in the mental health area, so I know when someone says they died of depression, I'm like, no, that's suicide. Like, that's what, just say it. Say that's what it is. Word, eh? That's a code word. This is like, that's stigma right there. That's stigma. Yeah, but do we, but like, I, I remember just being on, on the, the subway uh, on occasion where there was, you know, a jumper and it wasn't announced. It, it's not, it's not publicized in the news and nor should it be. I mean, I hate to be in, like, I hate to be um, insensitive, but who are you to jump in front of a train and inconvenience all the people that are trying to commute home and, and to, to work? Um, you know, who are you? Who you know? are you? No, no, none of us are that important. But uh, which is fine. But I don't know. So do is do do does it should it be publicized? Is is that okay? I don't I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, I don't think that it should be because I mean, if we were to bring it up on the news, I mean, I remember talking to one of the ticket collectors at well, the station, and based on the way the ticket collector was acting, this is not something that does. That this this happens on a regular basis. Yeah. Like, this is this is this is like a weekly, monthly mm-hmm. thing. Like this is this, mm-hmm. is this is nothing that this is not mm-hmm. new. Like in the, in that regard to suicide on, on the tra- on the train tracks and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when you when you talk about stigma what are we trying to what are we trying to accomplish i mean are we trying to um bring up the, bring up the notion that okay suicide happens and we 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 want people to be more aware of it or are we trying to trying to uh say you know what if you do feel a certain way we want you to get help but we're not going to publicize this like i don't i don't i don't like what what is the ultimate goal like what are we trying like cuz you don't want to constantly um, be pushing, putting a message out there about suicide, um, but you also don't want people hurting themselves. But you need to put the message about suicide out there. You need to raise awareness. 
that this is happening. Like I said earlier with the suicide fact, almost 4,000 people died of suicide. And I think I read somewhere too, like at least 3 million people tried, like only 4,000 died. But you know, when, when you're getting so, numbers like that, like you want people to know that it's, this is a, this is a real like possibility for you know the person sitting beside you or the person standing in front of you or behind you or your family member or your best friend like this is something that can happen if you don't monitor them closely if you care enough about them or you don't you know like it, it's it's just a, a real thing you know so but we've got cry for help and we've got people that are serious so when someone's serious and they've thought you can't about help it, them you can't help them they know what they're doing they chose they chose an appropriate weapon to get with the, the job, job done, done. So now you're telling me that you want you want me to worry about the people that are, have a cry for help? Yeah. Because that- as I stated earlier, that cry for help isn't just like, oh, daddy didn't buy me a BMW, so you know I'm going to try to kill myself so I can get attention. It's potentially someone who, you know, and I'm going to use myself as an example because I'm the only one I know right now, but someone who was molested as a child or had struggles through their life or went through any number of things, you know, hospitalized, whatever, traumatized. Like people who experience that and just can't handle it anymore, like those are the people that we need. You know, the ones that survive, the survivors are the ones that we need to try to help and need to raise awareness for. You know, because they're they're out there and there's more of them than we think. I don't think the numbers that they gave us gave me were accurate. I think there's more people they just don't report it because of stigma. I was just looking at it from the perspective of. Once you're already trying to commit suicide, isn't it too late? No, it's absolutely not. I took, um, no, it's absolutely not too late. It's absolutely not because you're not, um, what's what I'm looking for? I think it's ambivalent. I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but you're, you're, it's not too late. Like I've given the example of the, the young woman that I met earlier last year before and she had suicidal ideation. She was thinking about it strongly, but she got the help that she needed and she's in a better place now. I'm still in touch with her and she's in a better place now. Had no one sought help for her because she couldn't seek help for herself, she could be dead right now. I'm not taking anything away from that. I just want to look at what got us to the place where you were having these thoughts. This, do, we want, do we want to focus on... Um, dealing with the effects or do we want to deal with the cause so but what if the cause is something you can't deal with what if what if the cause is something like someone you know dies and you feel like you want to die and you you fall into a deep deep depression and then you end up trying to take your life i'm going to oversimplify this but you you might need to recognize that death is a part of life what if it's your child like I said, I'm not like you're just trying to throw scenarios out there just for the sake of throwing sorry. them out there. But like, sorry, sorry, what, sorry, I'm, sorry. What, I'm, what I'm saying is, things happen and we have to learn to deal with them. Now, I, I can't speak on uh, the loss of a child because I haven't experienced that. I don't have a child. I, don't, I haven't experienced the, the birth of a child. What I am saying is that we have to find ways to deal with all the challenges that we face. And mm-hmm. I, would, I would rather us work towards, like I've said before, dealing with. What is causing the problem? So you said you're just using the death of a child. Well, I don't know how to get over the death of a child. No. I, I, I wouldn't know where to start. But maybe talking first, maybe that is, is the first 
first way to and, and talking to someone that's not going to judge you or maybe provide like maybe it's not talking to someone that's not in your family i don't know mm-hmm. but i'm saying there is a lot that happens before based on what you've said based on what other people have said there's a lot that happens from the time of an initial challenge issue problem to the point where i'm going to take my life mm-hmm. there's a lot that happens there so instead of us just focusing on 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 that aspect of it what about dealing with what is causing us to feel this way i think probably because everyone's situation is like unique like we all have these unique situations where we find ourselves potentially thinking about death or whatever the case may be and i'm not i'm talking about we as in the mental health community like i'm speaking on that right now um and you know we face challenges that cause us and lead us to and maybe we don't share and maybe we don't go see a therapist you know maybe we isolate like i was saying they isolate themselves maybe we isolate from friends and family and people are so busy being busy and important that they might not see what's clearly right in front of them like that their friend or loved one is suffering you know that friend or loved one might hide it to the best of their ability until they can and just keep it in their head until they're ready and then one day they bounce up they bounce out of their house and they're happy as a clam and they're saying their hellos and goodbyes and giving their stuff away and then the next thing you know they're dead or they're an alcoholic and they drink themselves to absolute death like or they use drugs and they kill themselves it's and they they had no control over how much drugs you know they might have been using like it's it's different i think it's just different situations for different people and it's hard to say at what point you should intervene but once you know you know you can't turn a blind eye to it you can't say this person didn't just ask me how many pills it takes to kill themselves i can't ignore that or or sometimes i just want to die i can't ignore that you know, but everything else can be covered up. But once they open up to you and they say what they're feeling and what they're thinking, that's the time to take action. You know, if you can't do what, you know, you were saying and take action before, that's the time. So this unique population of people, um, I think that's the support that they need. You know, trying to prevent an attempt, so prevention. And there's also something called postvention, which I wanted to talk about. So there are some organizations that you can reach and contact that offer postvention uh, services. And it's basically for survivors of um, people who have committed suicide. And uh, they help you through the grieving process. They help you develop coping skills. Um, It's really, and and they stick with you for the first year, like through to the anniversary of the suicide. Okay. So they give you that kind of uh, support. Mm -hmm. Um, Initially, uh, according to what I read, you, you feel confusion, disbelief, and shock. And I could I could attest to that in because I've talked to my I, I had a conversation with my mother about what happened, and she, all she could say is when I heard I couldn't believe it not my daughter, not my daughter that's all I could say. 
you know, so there's that level of shockness. But then there's, you know, you go through the stages, anger, denial, it's happening, like, and they stick with you through all of that. And the good thing about it is there's some situations set up for children, too. So children whose parents or parent have committed suicide because they're some of the most vulnerable in the population of survivors. So I thought that was like pretty powerful, but there are challenges there too, because now going back to what we were talking about nature and nurture and if it's inherited, you know, that child might then, if they're not getting the care they need in regards to and the guidance and the, and the structure they need, um, they might start exhibiting self-destructive behavior. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> and I appreciate that you can hear me. So I'm going to go to those questions that I wanted to ask you. And they might seem, they might seem simple and they might seem strange, but I want you to just answer them as honestly as possible. So what makes you feel happy? Waking up in the morning. What makes you feel sad? Working. How do you cope with sadness or depressed feelings? I go to yoga. What do you do to cheer yourself up? Not sure, because I'm pretty good most of the time. Pretty good most of the time? Yeah. I live by myself. That's like, that's like the <laughs> happiest thing ever. Amen. You want the key to happiness? Live, you by, live yourself. by yourself. I live by myself as well, so I know exactly what he's talking about. Um, this, this one I'm interested in, because I feel like I know what they are, but I'm interested in this one. List one or two situations in your life that cause you to feel depressed. Uh, a cousin passing away when I was in my early 20s and dealing with the end of my marriage hmm. okay and how long did you feel depressed during these times do you remember I don't even know what like depressed means. So, well, I know what depressed means. No, but I, I, hate, I hate I hate when you people throw the word depressed wrong because I was never depressed. I don't think I was depressed with anything. I'm not talking about clinical depression. Um, yeah, but since we're we got to be we got to be clear with the language that we're using. We gotta talk about language. Yeah, <laughs> we gotta talk about it. Like I, I yeah, so sad maybe. Uh, I don't know. Month. Month. Okay. Yeah. Maybe a month or two. You're resilient. Month or two or three. That's still resilient. Um, discuss the effects of weather. My grass was greener. Your grass is greener? Yeah, I just want to say that. I know this one, but I'm going to ask anyway. Weather and music on your mood. Uh, Does it affect it? I mean, I can't listen. I haven't listened to a song that makes me angry, so I don't know. 
Actually, there was. You should a- listen to some new songs. <laughs> some new music. Actually, for the first time in my life, where music made me sad was, yeah, the marriage thing. There were some mm. songs that I was like, but it was it was the weirdest thing because the songs had nothing to do with the relationship. It just it was just an emotional time. It was just the content of the songs or the mm-hmm. lyrics, but they they really didn't play a direct role in in, in anything mm-hmm. that was significant. Uh, yeah. Okay. And what do you like best about yourself, and why? What I like best about myself, I love everything about me. <laughs> I love that answer. Yeah. I love that answer. I don't know. I don't know what there's. I wanted to. I wanted to ask you those questions just because to get a sense of. It's, I would answer them. I think a little differently, um, but to just get a sense of like how grounded you are and how well you know yourself. Because I think. Um, yeah, but I spent time to learn myself. And you spent exactly. Out. You spent time, and I think people don't give themselves enough time to be able to answer these questions. I think I think they don't they don't give themselves enough time. They just kind of and I'm going to say it and people might not like me saying it, but they give up. Like I'm sorry, like what I did 3 years ago was in, it's inexcusable. Like I know that there are people still out there that are going through what they're going through and they exhibit self-destructive behavior and they talk about it and they think about it and I get that, but I was so disappointed in myself for what for my self-destructive behavior. I mean, I'd done some self-destructive shit before, but nothing of that nature. And I was so disappointed in myself. And had things gone left instead of going right, you know, I wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast, talking to y'all and, you know, chilling with JR. Like, and that would be a crying effing shame. But... Before we wrap things up, I wanted to provide, and, and JR's going to put this at the bottom of um, the description uh, in this podcast, where you can go for help. So, number one, the Crisis Center, the Toronto, and this is just Toronto and Ontario, sorry for all our um, foreign listeners, um, but you could always look stuff up on your internet. Um, Crisis Center, Toronto District, uh, the Dist- Toronto Distress Center, sorry. Um, and I have the phone number. I'll give you the phone number again in the um, description. The Suicide Prevention Center, and that's the Ontario Suicide Prevention Network. Um, Kids Help Phone. Mental Health Crisis and Response. Uh, the Gernstein Mobile Crisis. Um, Family Support Services Toronto. And Mental Health Services Ontario Hotline. And obviously, of course, never ever forget, there's always the police 911 if it's a serious emergency. Cool. So... If you guys, um, if you're struggling, like honestly, if you're struggling and you want to, you just want to share um, your feelings and emotions with me, um, you know, you want to talk about some stuff, let's let's start emailing each other. Let's start an email chain about this um, and and open up. Don't because you're not alone. You're not alone with us. Right, Jr. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Jr. Tell them how they can reach us if they wanna if they wanna get in touch. Definitely, you can reach us at dish d y s h at daintydish dot com. Uh, you can reach us in the comments section on YouTube, 
And yeah, thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate you for listening to us on Apple Podcast. Give us a five, you deserve a five. Uh, if you're listening to us on any other platform, thank you so much. We truly appreciate it. You can also you can always comment and uh, receive feedback from Onika. Thank you so much for listening. That is it for me. Truly appreciate you. Thank you so much. See you next week. All right, guys, that has been the dish of the day, and I hope y'all have yourselves a very, very, very happy hump day. <laughs> <laughs>